Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we come to you to ask for your blessing over this time. Father, we praise you for the gifts of your Son, Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit, and your Word. And Father, our prayer is now that you will send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. I pray, Father, that you'll just get me out of the way. And Lord, that as we get into your word, you will show us your power, your provisions for praying with power. We thank you, Lord, for all of your blessings. We thank you, Father, that your word implanted in our heart has the power to save our souls. So we surrender this time to you in the leading of your Holy Spirit. And thank you in advance for the answer to the prayer of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, first of all, let's just kind of, this is a, a tiny group, but let's, am I preaching to the choir is what I want to know. How many of you are just totally satisfied with your prayer life? Raise your hand if you know that your prayer life just couldn't get any better. All right, good. Then I'm not praying, preaching to the choir. <laughs> the way I look at it, is we know that this, our spiritual walk or this race that we're in, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And there are seasons in our spiritual life. I remember in 1999 when the Lord taught me to come to him and pray for an hour every day. And actually I began praying two hours and sometimes three hours a day. God totally changed my life through prayer. And I prayed that way for about seven years, eight years. But then gradually, the more actually I became involved in ministry, the busier I got, the less time I spent in prayer. And since then, it has been this struggle of giving the Lord the time that he deserves. Does anybody else identify with this? Yeah, okay, good. Because I have found that this is true of all people. I mean, usually if somebody doesn't admit this, it's just because they're embarrassed or they're, they have got blinders over their eyes. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book called Pressing Into His Presence, and it's all about prayer. When I finished with it, I asked the Lord, who should I send this to to have it reviewed? He gave me two names, Kenneth Cox and David Ashrick. So I contacted Kenneth, and I said, I've just written a, a manuscript on prayer. I said, would, would you be so kind as to review it for me? He said, please send it to me. And then I called David Ashrick. He was down in Australia at the time, and, or he was actually in New Zealand. And I said, David, I've written this book. Would you review it for me? He said, send it to me. Now, here's the, the reason I'm sharing this story is you know Kenneth Cox. You know David Ashrick. The interesting thing is that Kenneth Cox told me later, and he has stated this publicly, so it's no big problem in repeating it, but Kenneth Cox told me later, I was praying and asking God for a resource to change my prayer life because I was having such trouble with my prayer life. And you're thinking, oh, Kenneth Cox was having trouble with their prayer life? And he said, this really helped me so much. So he endorsed the book. The same thing with David Ashrick. David Ashrick 
He actually said, we came and he said at uh, our camp meeting, he said, I was going through a time where he said, I spent a lot of time in the Word, but I was having trouble with my prayer life. And so this helps me. So the reason that I'm sharing this is just to tell you we're all in the same boat. Every one of us is in the same boat. We all are facing similar problems. We're going to talk about, uh, just I'm going to open up with a few remarks about the problem that we're facing, the predator that we're facing, the prayer predator I call him, and then we're going to get into our Bibles and look at God's provision for powerful prayer and the fundamentals of powerful prayer or praying with power. Now, I'm going to say something that makes me look really bad. Don't you just love these people who are so organized and you come to a seminar and they hand you out an outline that you can fill in the blank and they've got all of their, their PowerPoints and everything. I admire someone who is so organized. It's hard to do that when you get the seminar put together the day before you leave. So today we're not going to have PowerPoints. We're just going to get into the Word of God, okay? So I hope you have your Bibles, whether they're on your iPhones or whatever. Please get them out. But let's look at, before we delve into the Scriptures, I just want to share with you some thoughts that as I was praying about this, and I promise you this wasn't procrastination. In the, This was just being too busy. But as I was praying this past weekend and asking the Lord, what would you have me present? I want to share a few thoughts that he laid on my heart about our prayer problem. And one thing that I always tell people is we learn to teach. And we teach to learn. What you hear, if you have your Bibles, you may want to mark your Bibles as we go from Scripture to Scripture to tell what the next Scripture is going to be. But if what we learn is not just for our own benefit, we learn it to share, okay? And then it's as we share with others that we really, as we're teaching others, that's when we really learn it ourselves. But as I said last night, with all of our talk about revival and reformation, the one thing that I hear repeatedly is that there's a lack of spiritual power in our personal lives and in our church lives. We have people who are focused on revival and reformation, yet they don't feel like anything is really happening to push this forward. So if we examine the reason why, I can tell you it usually comes down to our lack for passion for prayer. If we lack a passion for prayer, that's the root problem. Many people, many Adventists are passionate about our doctrines. They're passionate about teach, you know, Bible teaching. They're passionate about religious services. They're passionate about their ministry. But if we don't spend extended time with God, we're not passionate for prayer. It's amazing how curiously cool-hearted we can be. 
I was teaching on praying an hour a day, and I got so much negative responses from people who were saying, you're just trying to make us feel bad, like you could pray an hour a day. And I thought, people are curiously cool-hearted about spending that, ex that time with God. And what we end up doing too often is that we treat prayer as if it's a spiritual exercise or if it's just something that it's a matter of obligation. We offer up a short prayer before our meetings. We offer up you know, our morning prayer during our devotional, five minutes here. We offer up prayer for Thanksgiving for our food, uh, our evening prayers. Often we just give God what's left over. And we just give him the leftovers. And it becomes an exercise of habit, an exercise of haste. So if you want to keep a finger on your spiritual pulse, just check how much time you're spending in Bible study and prayer. That's how the heavenly physician tells the condition of our hearts. I mean, you can be busy in ministry and not be spending enough time to really have... If you're not... Anytime our priorities are misplaced, when we are neglecting prayer, it is... And this sounds harsh, but it's true. And I'm not pointing a finger because, as I said when I first began, we all are on this walk. And there's times in my own life that I have to remember that negligence of prayer and misplaced priorities are a sign of an unsurrendered life. That sounds ouch, doesn't it? But that is the truth. Insufficient prayer ends up with a, a condition of spiritual weakness. And this is something that we often camouflage. You know, there's so many people who are involved in ministry who are just going full steam ahead, who when you talk to them, they'll say, man, I am just spiritually spent. I'm burnt out. And, but to the public... They're, they're, they cover this up, and a lot of us do this at church. Of course, now, prayer is multifaceted, and it comes in many shapes and forms, and we can't put a rule, a fast rule, to say this is how long we should pray. I mean, you know, that's just not a possibility. But I will tell you this, that those who spend extended time in prayer with God, those who pray the longest also pray the most efficient, short prayers when you've got that personal relationship. So a good indicator of the value that we place on something is how much time we devote to it. So with that thought in mind, how much time are you devoting to prayer? What value do you place on prayer? It isn't something that we just put on our to-do list. This should be as instinctive as breathing to the child of God. We don't pray enough because we don't recognize the joy of communing with our Heavenly Father of infinite love. He longs to guide us and to bless us and to fill us with his power to cause us to be all that he has called us to be. 
So sometimes we know we're languishing spiritually and we don't know how to fix it. I went through such a spell not too long ago. After my sister died, she was 61 years old. She was my baby sister. She went to bed for a nap and she never woke up. And she was my last living relative. And I went through this little spell where, you know, with your grieving, I mean, I had still very busy, but I was not praying and spending the time with the Lord that I should. And then I went through this spell of, what's wrong with me, Lord? Have you ever cried that out to God? What's wrong with me, Lord? And it's like, I know what's wrong with me. I'm the one who stepped back. God didn't move. I did. But when we get focused on what's wrong with me, as we're lamenting about this, here's what happens often. We try to change it by our own power. Have you ever done that? It's like, oh, I need to pray more. I need to be in my Bible more. I need to do this. I need to, it's just like you're ticking it off, the things that we should be performing to draw closer to God. And when we do this in our own flesh, we're going we're gonna to lose. We're going to fail. One thing that we have to recognize, and I'm rather, sh- I'm rather slow to recognize this, is we're in a spiritual battle. There is a prayer predator out there. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of darkness that are in heavenly places. And I guarantee you, the devil does everything he can to keep us from prayer. I'll go so far as to say he doesn't care if you're giving a Bible study as long as you're not praying because it's prayer that releases God's power on earth. Many of us are involved in ministries that we're asking for God to bless our plans instead of being involved in God's plan. So I want to just give you real quickly these introductory comments. The 4D plan the devil's 4D plan by which he exercises diabolic influence over our prayer life. Number one, distractions. The enemy uses every possible distraction to get us to either rush in our prayer, to postpone our prayer, or to neglect prayer. And let me tell you that a distraction can be a good thing. What? I don't mean distractions are good, but the, the good things that he will use to distract you, you don't recognize what the devil's doing. He doesn't care if you're doing good things as long as you're not doing the greatest thing. The greatest thing we can be doing is praying. The greatest thing we can be doing is praying. He can keep you busy with works. You can be working with the community services. You can be setting up an evangelistic campaign. But he will do anything he can to keep you from praying because he knows that that is going to cut you off from the spiritual power. 
And if you ever get to the point where you feel you're too busy to pray, then may I suggest that busy is an acrostic for bondage under Satan's yoke. B-U-S-Y, bondage under Satan's yoke. The second D is discouragement, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of guilt. He causes us to, you know, our, our feelings of apathy. He causes us to see prayer as requiring too great of a sacrifice. Or perhaps it's just too great of a struggle as we strive in our own strength to have a meaningful prayer life and fail. The third D is disillusionment. I can't tell you how many times J.D., my husband, who's, raise your hand, honey, my husband's right here, sitting next to the birthday girl. Happy birthday. And we get phone calls at 3 a.m. all the time saying, I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I feel like, you, you know, there's no need for me to pray because there is, you know, the Bible, the, what the scriptures say about prayer just aren't true. There's not that kind of or power in prayer. So this is a disillusionment that the devil uses. The third thing, or fourth D, is a delayed response. He uses all of his schemes to hinder and delay the response. Turn to Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to take a quick look, and we'll come back to Daniel in just a moment. But Daniel chapter 10, the prophet is on his face. He's praying day and night before the Lord for three full weeks. He's praying. He's mourning. He's not partaking of his regular food and drink. He is fasting. And in Daniel 10 and verse 12... This is what uh, the Bible records. Then he said to me, he being an angel, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your Lord, your words were heard from the first day that he started praying. Your words were heard. And the angel says, and I have come because of your words. In other words, I've come because of your prayers. But, the angel says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, an evil spiritual principality, withstood me for 21 days, three full weeks. An angel of the Lord, a powerful angel, there was a battle going on in the, in the heavenlies that he could not get through with God's answer. See, we don't think about these things often. We just know I'm praying and I'm praying and I don't know why the answer's not coming. Maybe God's not hearing my prayers. And sometimes people get into this poor, pitiful me. I've got a precious little soul that I probably talk with about once a week. And she's like, I just may as well give up praying. God's not answering my prayers. You know, I can pray for others and I see the answer, but when I pray for myself, he's not answering my prayers. So I give up. 
But let's talk about what happens when we get to that place of prayerlessness or neglecting prayer. And I, when I say prayerlessness, I don't mean sometimes I can pray short prayers all day long. But it's still not praying with power. And the reason usually that we find that lies at the root of this is spiritual oppression of the devil. And we need to open our eyes and ask, is this what's going on? Unbelief, sin, or lack of love for our Savior. Does that sound harsh? We've got to actually examine our hearts and see. You know, people who will say they're too busy to pray almost always find time to talk to their loved ones, talk to friends, maybe find some kind of pleasure, you know, some kind in their hobbies, some form of entertainment. But the idea of spending an hour, and I'm not suggesting an hour is is the magic number, say 30 minutes. The idea of spending 30 minutes in prayer is kind of like, well, no, I'm too busy. As I said, often we give God only leftovers because we have forgotten our first love. When you've got that first love experience with the Lord, you can't wait to spend time with him in prayer. So if you resonate at all with this all-too-common condition, what we've got to do is wake up and change our attitude about prayer. We need a paradigm shift to understand God's purpose of prayer. And we need to know how to appropriate God's provisions for a powerful prayer life. So here's the purpose. This isn't as I said, these are just a few opening comments that God was giving me as I'm asking him. What is the purpose and the power of prayer? Let me quickly go through this. Prayer is part of God's purpose for your spiritual progression. No man can expect to make progress in holiness who is not often and long alone with God. Prayer helps us to draw near to him. And what does he say? Did you know that's actually a condition? You, uh, someday I wish to, I need to put my husband's interesting testimony in this. He kept waiting for God to draw near to him. But what does James 4, 6, or 4, 8 say? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Some of us are waiting for God to show up in our face rather than us drawing near. But during prayer, God reveals himself in an increasingly personal manner as our Lord of infinite love. He helps us understand his plan of salvation. Do you know what his plan of salvation is? Total, total dependence upon him. Total dependence upon his gifts of grace. And the three greatest gifts of grace are Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the, and the Word of God. Prayer is the divinely appointed means of bringing us into a relationship of sacred intimacy with him. And it teaches us the privilege of being his child. 
Prayer develops in us the character of Christ, the character of his submissiveness and his humility. Prayer teaches us to wait on God. It develops in us a compassion for others. Intercessory prayer will not only develop the passion, but it will give you a desire for service. And I'll go so far as to even say it will fit you for service. It helps us recognize God's very personal involvement in not only our lives, but in others, and how it's his hand that's moving to bestow all of his promised spiritual and physical blessings on us. You know, sometimes, have you ever had this experience? Have you ever prayed something and you get an answer right away? Let's say you're praying for, I'll give you an example that happened to me. I was giving seminars in the secular world. I was unhappy with the lack of opportunity to witness and I prayed specifically one night to the Lord, and I said, Lord, give me an opportunity to witness. Actually, it was in the morning that I prayed that, and at lunch, I am seated at a table, a secular table, with all these, there's probably eight CPAs, and a man comes up who was at the seminar, and he said to me, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes. I had not spoken a word of that during the seminar. But he said, I thought so. And he sat down and started asking me questions. Now, it ended up in being like an hour of talking about the Lord. God had that planned all along. It was a divine appointment. But you know what? I think it was going to happen whether I prayed or not. But the idea that I prayed, it made me see it was God's hand moving. Does that make sense? We'll come back to that in a little bit. So prayer is the power of God is released on earth through prayer. Prayer releases God's peace into our lives as we keep our eyes focused on him, trusting in him. That's why um, Paul wrote to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing but by all things, all prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Prayer teaches us the secret of true worship as we learn to seek his face and not his hand. It leads us to become a friend with God and enjoy a two-way communication with him as he speaks to us, number one, through his word, and secondly, as he reveals his mysteries to us through his spirit. Let me stop for just a second. We'll come back to this. When I wrote Pressing Into His Presence, and maybe you've watched that program, there was, from a few people, a little resistance about the idea, because pressing into his presence is teaching you to really get there, to seek the face of God. And when I talked about listening for the still, small voice, I had a few old-time Adventists who called me and said, 
You know, you're teaching something that's not in agreement with Sister White. I had a lot of scripture in there to prove that it was in agreement with the Bible, but they said, this isn't what Sister White taught. I want to read you something from Christ Object Lessons, page 129. Christ Object Lessons, page 129. Sister White says, Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we would talk with a friend. He will speak his mysteries to us personally. We've got to train our ear to hear the still small voice of the Lord. That's when the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts the thoughts of God. We need to train our ear for this. And let me give you something to put your any fear out of your heart is that Christ Object Lessons, page 129. The Holy Spirit will never say anything that doesn't line up in perfect agreement with the Word. Ever. If you ever hear, you know, have, you're impressed with a thought and you're worried whether this is the Lord or not, find out if it's in the Bible. God is not going to tell you anything that doesn't line up in agreement with his word. So I've said all of this to just say, prayer has unspeakable value. Unspeakable value. And far too often, we take this privilege for granted. So we've got to admit that we are helpless to overcome. I took way too long on this. Let's get into the... I, I didn't think those opening comments were supposed to be five minutes. And 30 is gone. What we want to look at is God's provision for powerful prayer. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. What we need to do is ask God to give us a passion for His presence, a passion for daily intimate fellowship. And if we recognize God has a plan for our lives, we will become passionate about His presence. And we've got to ask Him to teach us to pray by the power of His provisions. I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 11 through 18 very quickly. But listen for the provisions that God has given you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand therefore stand having your waist girded with truth that's a provision for powerful prayer having put on the breastplate of righteousness another provision having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts take the helmet of salvation another provision for powerful prayer, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, one of His greatest provisions, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful, being watchful. In the Spirit is the greatest provision. We have to know 
that if we strive to pray with power in our own strength, we will fail. But when we learn to get, hand this over to God and pray by the provision of the Holy Spirit, our prayers will become powerful. If our prayer life suffers, we suffer, and we grieve the very one who was sent to be our comforter and prayer guide because we refuse to surrender to his love and leading. But let's talk about what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. Turn to Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. There's only one chapter in Jude. Just turn to Jude chapter 20. Jude verse 20. You know, this is something that we're going to talk about. It says praying in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of our charismatic brothers try to say that this is praying with glossolalia. But this is not what the Lord is saying, so let's look at it. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Let's unpack it. But you, beloved, we are the object of God's love. You have great value to the Lord. Let me say this. You are worth nothing less than the price that he put on you. He paid for your life with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But you, beloved, he looks on us with approval, not because we're perfect, but because Christ is perfect. And we have that breastplate of righteousness on we're covered with that robe of righteousness. He says, building yourselves up. Now, in the Greek, this is a metaphor for building a house. So he's saying, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Our prayers are founded on most holy faith. And we're to build ourselves up on this. This is the foundation. Holy faith is different than any other kind of faith. How do you get holy faith? There's only one way to get holy faith, and that's from the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We must meditate on the Word of God. Make the Word part of your prayer time. You know, I always tell people, little word equals little faith. The more of the Word of God that you have in your heart, the more you know where to turn for the answers, the greater your faith will be. We know that the Word and the Spirit are always in harmony, so it cannot be separated from this phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit. It means to be praying with power from on high, which is the way we build ourselves up in this faith. But we can't pray in the Spirit unless we're walking in the Spirit. Can't walk in the Spirit and walk in the flesh simultaneously. So, what we have to do to pray in the Holy Spirit means we need to be indwelt by the Spirit. And He is the Spirit of love and holiness. will help us to pray. We need to welcome Him. Before I read the Word of God, I always pray that the Holy Spirit will come. And these are spiritual words, spiritually discerned. So I pray for the Holy Spirit to come 
but learn to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and guide your prayer. We need to pray in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was commissioned to be our prayer instructor. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us in groanings which cannot be uttered. So before you go to the throne of grace, seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. Commit your prayer time to his leading, and he will change the way you pray. We build ourselves up on our most holy faith as we pray with the word and pray with the spirit. Then continuing in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. When God is our first love, prayer is the natural expression of our love for him. So we need to consciously and continually abide in, the, in love, abide in Christ, and know that nothing can separate us from him except our own will, our own self-destructive attitudes. You know, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You well know this scripture, John 14 and 15, but I want to show you something because we usually leave out verse 16. John 14, 15, y'all finish it for me. If you love me, keep my commandments. But look at what verse 16 says. This is the result. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Allos parakletos in the Greek. Allos meaning one who is just exactly like me. He will give you another helper. So we see that if we're going to abide in Christ, we need to walk in obedience, and obedience is essential in preparation for receiving the Holy Spirit. So as we open our heart before the Lord, what we want to do, you know what 1 John 2, 3-5 through 5 says, that anyone who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, right? So remember that obedience is the highest form of worship. And it is by God's grace, by the way. You know, obedience requires human effort, but we can only obey by grace. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but... Verse 13 says, not in your own strength, for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So Jude 21 continues. He says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need this mercy because we've sinned against God. We've neglected, ignored, and even disobeyed him. We grieved and resisted and quenched his Holy Spirit. But when we come before him, these are, are provisions that he has given us, his word and his spirit, and we need to spend time seeking this mercy. So now let's get down to the meat of this. I'm going to go quickly through the fundamentals of praying with power. 
The first three fundamentals have to do with our approach to God. Number one is to pause to consider who you are approaching. Pause to consider who you are approaching. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He redeemed us that we might receive the adoption as sons. Abba, as you know, is an Aramaic term. It has a very intimate suggestion. It's a word like Papa or Daddy. Why is it important for us to consider who we are approaching? Consider that you are a child of God and you will approach the Lord differently. Did you know that in Roman law, an adopted child, even a former slave, was guaranteed all legal rights to the inheritance of his father. There was no difference between a biological child and an adopted child. So an adopted child was not a second-class citizen. He was equal in all ways. And we have to understand our full identity and, and I think the identity crisis that we have, because we don't know who we are in Christ, we don't come before the Lord with the request that we should be making. Consider who you are as God's child, that he has promised that all of his promises are yours in Christ Jesus. And then when you have paused to consider that, that you're approaching your father who wants to speak with you. Do you know how much God wants to talk to you? Do you ever think about it? You know, that's, I was praying, oh, we got so busy for about a week there that my prayer life was so short. And as I was praying and I'm saying, Father, forgive me. I know I've grieved your spirit because you want to talk to me and I haven't been there to talk with you. Lord, forgive me. But then number two, as we realize, hey, he wants to talk to me, you're going to come differently. Now, the second thing is approach boldly but humbly. Approach boldly but humbly. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. says, let us therefore come boldly, fearlessly, confidently to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our approach to God is through prayer. We must come in reverence, recognizing him as the creator and the king of all the universe. But we come with bold assurance recognizing that he is our Abba. He is our Papa. It's not with our heads hung low that we feel like we are afraid to ask God to meet our needs, but we don't come flippantly. You don't approach the throne of grace without reverence because 
Let me tell you, the throne of grace is holy ground. We come boldly and humbly before him just as Jesus did in Hebrews 5, 7. The only begotten Son of God comes before the Lord and it says in Hebrews 5, 7, who speaking of Christ in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. He was heard because of his reverent submission. You know, if that was Christ's approach, should ours be anything less? The third thing, in the, still on the approach, we pause to consider who we're approaching, we approach boldly but reverently, and then we approach God with the provision of His Holy Spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Well, we've read that. We don't have to turn there if you don't want, but Romans 8, 26 and 27. We, if we're going to pray with power, we should start our prayer by requesting the Holy Spirit would lay upon our hearts those petitions we should bring before the Father according to His Word and His will. We don't know how to pray as is necessary. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. See, we can't see the end from the beginning like God does. We don't know if the things we ask for would be best. And in our littleness and our own pride, sometimes we pray for self-centered little prayers. It's just amazing. We need to ask God not to bless our plans for the day, but to fulfill his plan in us for the day. We need to just come before him and recognize our utter helplessness without God. See, humility in prayer is to recognize our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to pray. I tell people every day, the first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning is pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve the Spirit of God. We can resist the Spirit of God. We can even quench the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be emptied of self and filled with his spirit. And sometimes flesh rises up and quenches the spirit. But pray to be filled. Pray the spirit will guide your prayers and then you will pray powerful prayers. Come to God by praying in the power of his spirit. And he will impress upon our hearts how we should pray. You know, I remember once... Some of the pray, greatest prayers that I've ever prayed are when I ask God. There's times that I pray, and I just start praying. And sometimes I'm praying the word. I was at a women's meeting. We had prayed a week before for a woman to be healed, a heart valve. God healed her. So, boy, everybody was excited. And they all brought their, their friends with them the next week uh, to this women's group. 
And so this woman came up to me after I'd finished speaking, and she said, I've got lung cancer, and I want you to pray for me. And I began to pray, and I prayed the word of God, thanking God that he was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who healed all of our diseases. I was praying, the, you know, thank you, Lord, that you sent your word to heal us. Thank you that by his stripes we are healed. I am praying the word of God over here. There's power in praying the word of God. And all of a sudden, you know what I hear? Not an audible voice but I hear in my mind what's impressed upon my heart is who is this who darkens my counsel with words without wisdom? Whoa! You talk about stop you short in a prayer. And man, I mean, I just stopped up short. And I said, Lord, send me your spirit. What, how am I supposed to pray for this woman? And the first thing the spirit said was, ask her if she's smoking. She didn't smell like smoke. And I said to her, Sister, are you still smoking? And she said, Well, yes. And I looked at her and I said, I can't pray for your healing if you're not going to cooperate with God's way. Does that make sense? We need to know. So the, the Spirit of the Lord changed the prayer that we began to pray that He would deliver her, or her from the power of the addiction of nicotine. And I, he did do that, and I cannot tell you about the rest of the story because I don't know the rest of the story. We moved away, and I don't know if she ever, I lost contact, I don't know if God healed her, but he did heal her of her addiction. He healed her emotionally and spiritually and brought her to him. We have to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit and not the pride of our flesh. Number four, walking in obedience. First John, and let me say this, walking in confident obedience. Confident obedience. First John chapter 3 and verse 21. The Bible says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, when our consciences are clear, we can come to our Heavenly Father without fear, confident that He hears our request. But He says, and whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. All right, there's a part A and a part B here. The part A of this scripture is, if our heart does not condemn us, who can go before the Lord? What does Psalm 24 say? Verse 3 and 4. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you want to pray powerfully, to pray with power, besides the three steps of approach, the next thing you need to do after you've asked for the provision of the Holy Spirit, you need to do self-examination. And you need to ask, confess and ask for forgiveness of your sins, right up front. We have to find if there is any sin that is hindering our prayer life. You know, confession is the clearing house of the conscience. And we've got to come before the Lord to confess those sins. 
Isaiah 59 says the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sin have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And sometimes if we, let's say that something has happened, and I've experienced this in prayer. I am praying for the Holy Spirit to help me pray and there's times that I've forgotten to repent. And I start praying and I just feel like, whoosh, there's just something that's stopping it. So I say, Lord, what is it? The Lord brings me back to that point of confessing my sin. And it could be something as easy as someone offended me and I haven't let go of it. Did you know that the spirit of offense, this is what the Lord told me, the spirit of offense is the spirit of pride. The spirit of offense is the spirit of pride. You cannot be offended unless your pride is in the way. And pride is one of the worst sins that there is. So we need to go before the Lord and find out right up, up front, Lord, is there anything that's in me? And we need to mention our sins by name. You know, I hear so many people pray, oh, Lord, forgive us our sins. When Jesus gave that short prayer model, he didn't intend for it to be the way we prayed. Confession means just that, confession. Confessing our sins specifically. You remember last night, if you heard the uh, testimonies last night, there was a young man uh, who is with Conviction Ministry, Greg, somebody or other, he was talking about how he prayed and he, he confessed his sins and he said, I was very specific. And then he wept before the Lord. And then he laid down in his bunk in his prison cell and he felt the weight of his sin leave him. The reason it is important to be specific is because then our hearts can feel the weight of sin. If we're not sorry for sin, confessing our sin, I mean, we may as well be a Catholic. Walk into the booth. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Walk out of the booth. Let's go again. No, we come before the Lord, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, what is it that I'm doing that's grieving your Holy Spirit? Forgive me for grieving your Holy Spirit. Am I being unforgiving towards someone? You've told me that you will forgive me as I forgive others. What is it that I am doing, Lord? Show me. And you know, the more the word you know, the better your conscience will be educated. Sometimes our consciences aren't educated enough and we need to have the Holy Spirit do that for us. Now, the second part of that was he said that if let me get back to that scripture. If, he says, whatever we ask of him, we receive because we keep his commandments. See, obedience is a pathway to blessing. God responds to his obedient children. Here's a scripture I want. This is a great scripture to share with people who think obedience is not necessary. Hebrews 10 and verse 36 Hebrews 10 and verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. 
You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. Okay, the fifth step for praying in power is abiding in Christ with his word abiding in us. John 15 and verse 7, John 15 and verse 7, Jesus said this, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. And then he goes on, I'm looking this up because I didn't write it down. In John 15 and verse 9, he says this, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in Jesus Christ? I ask a few people that. I, I really hadn't planned to explain this. But I ask a few people that question, and I got such interesting answers, I thought perhaps I need to answer that. Some people think of this as being very mystical. There's nothing mystical about abiding in Christ. If somebody comes to you and says, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Here's, and if you're there at John chapter 15, just put a little marker there in your Bible to go to 1 John chapter 4. John is the one who uses this phrase about abiding in Christ, which in the Greek means to dwell, to remain in Christ. And in 1 John chapter 4, he does a good job of explaining it. Let me turn there right now. Let's turn there and just take a moment, because this is important. 1 John chapter 4, and let's look at what it means to abide in Christ. Because if we want to ask what we desire and it shall be done for us, we need to know how to abide in Christ, right? So 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 says this, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So verse 14 saying they've heard the gospel. Verse 15 saying they've accepted Christ as Savior. By grace through faith, they remain in vital union with Christ for his life-giving sap. And let's look at verse 13 to see that. The sap is the Spirit's anointing power. He says, by this, 1 John 14, 13, 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So when we have the spirit, and then verse 16 goes on to say that we abide in him if we abide in his love. We can't abide in Christ, the living word, if we're not abiding in his love and in his scriptures. He says right here, Abide in me, and, and my, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. We have been given the mind of Christ. Isn't that what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.16? Here it is. Here it is. This is the mind of Christ revealed to us. 
You have been given the mind of Christ. And the more of this word that you have in your heart, the more you will operate by the mind of Christ. So if Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you're indwelt by my spirit, if you're abiding in letting the spirit pour out his love into your heart, if you are abiding in love, loving one another, abiding in me, and, you, and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. The sixth step, according to his will. We can turn right over there at the next page, 1 John chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. How do you know if you're praying according to God's will? If you're praying according to the word, being led by the spirit. And I just encourage you to pray the word of God over your own life and into the lives of others as you're interceding for them. Isaiah 55, verse 11, God says, my word will not return to me void, but will accomplish every purpose for which I sent it. In Jeremiah 1, 12, he says, I watch over my word to perform it. Jeremiah 1, 12. So bring the Lord into remembrance of his promises. Pray his promises over your life. Now, number seven. In submission to his will. We pray according to his will, but in submission to his will. Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christ's total focus on earth was to do the will of the Lord. And he faced a very real personal struggle, though, as he looked at the cruel horror of crucifixion. The shame of hanging there naked. The, the pain of the separation from his father. This was a real struggle. And you know, I love this verse because it tells me it's never wrong to express my true feelings in worship or in prayer. God knows them anyway. You know, I, I've told God before some things that some of you might think is irreverent. But God worked in me to change. You know, I have said, and I'm going to just say, I've said it, so I may as well say it. God was impressing upon me to pray for the salvation of someone who had done very horrible things in our life, even threatened to kill me, even supposedly gotten a hit gang to kill me. Okay? So the Lord tells me one day, as I'm saying, Father, lead me by your spirit how to pray. The Lord says, pray for his salvation. This guy was Muslim. Pray for his salvation. And you know what I said to the Lord? JD's going to have a heart attack because I'm going to tell you this. I said to him, I don't want him to be saved. Let him rot in hell. Now, that was, that was a long time ago. I may not talk to the Lord like that. I know it's unlovely and unchristlike, but I was still a baby Christian. God knew my heart anyway. But you know what? God taught me 
I mean, I finally said, okay, Lord, I will pray according to your word in submission to your word and your will, in submission to your will. And as I prayed for that man, and I told the Lord, I'll pray for his salvation, but you know I don't mean it. God knows anyway. So I am praying, and you know what happens? As I am praying for this man's salvation, not meaning it at all at first, eventually, within just a couple of weeks, I find myself praying earnestly for the salvation of this soul. And guess what happened? God cleansed my heart of unforgiveness. Did that man care that I was praying for him? I doubt it. You know, I read this once, and I wish I could find it where the source of this is. Remember when Jesus said, pray for your enemies because by doing so you heap coals upon their head? I read once that in that culture there was a thing, that, a headdress that they put on, that it was like a pan, and when they were repenting, they put coals on top of that and walked around with this pan. So if, if that is true, which I, haven't, I, I can't find the source, but if it's true, what Jesus was saying is the more you pray for your enemy, the more you'll help him to come into repentance. So we pray in submission to his will. Now, I want to give you an example of praying in submission. If we are praying for family, friends, people of the world to be saved, do we have to worry if we're praying in submission to the will of the Lord? Huh? What does 1 Timothy 2.4 say? 1 Timothy 2.4 says, this is the will of God, that all men would be saved. Now, what if I'm praying for healing for a friend? Can I just pray the healing promises? And Because there are some good healing promises in the Bible. If we are praying in submission to his will, we're praying in accordance to the authority of his word, and we're seeking his individual will. We had a pastor, someone recently, who came to us and asked us to anoint his wife, and they did not want us to pray, if it's your will, for her healing. Just accept by faith it was his will. Now, I can't, I can't ask you this because I haven't I answered this because I haven't asked the pastor. If God told him, I think he caught us a little off guard. And we obliged and we prayed for healing without saying, if it's your will. But you know, there's nowhere in Scripture. We, we are promised that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. There's nowhere in Scripture that promises us healing here on earth. And I, I would say that the evidence is, is pretty compelling that not all saints are healed. So I believe how I pray, and this sounds like a cop-out, but how I pray is, Father, don't let them die one day sooner than your perfect will or live one day longer than your perfect will. But we need to pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we know how to pray. You know, Paul prayed... I mean, God used Paul, God worked through Paul to perform miracles, did he not? Even with his handkerchief that he sent out, and people would be healed. Yet Paul prayed for his own healing. What did God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. So he didn't get healed. 
And even, are you familiar with 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20? God worked through Paul to heal many, but Paul had to leave his companion, Trophimus, behind sick. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4.20. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus, Paul writes to the Ephesians, I have left in Miletus sick. So God doesn't tell us that we can pray for everyone with the, we have to pray in submission to his will. Now, we only have five more minutes, and I'm sorry, I, I feel like I wasted time with the opening comments. Number eight is believing. If you are going to pray with faith, you've got to employ, I mean, if you're going to pray with power, you've got to employ the faith factor. Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Do we believe that? Oh, come on. Do you really believe that? You may believe it here, mental assent, because it is written in the Bible, but I can tell you we don't believe it here because look at the littleness of our prayers. We pray such little prayers. We box God in. You know, it's like I loved John Carter's statement. What did John Carter pray for? He didn't pray, Lord, get me over to Russia and let me have it one evangelistic series. He prayed, Lord, give me Russia. And thousands were saved because of that prayer. Jesus said, whatever things you ask and pray in prayer, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. We have to pray with faith to pray with power. We have to have faith that God believes and hears that he's granting these promises and it does have a conditional but very comprehensive. I mean, this is comprehensive, but it has a conditional promise. You have to have a basis for your believing and that is the word of God, right? Little word, little faith. Little faith, little prayer. We've got to have a basis for our believing. And then we must believe that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, number nine. Ask in the authority of the name of Jesus. There's one God, one mediator between men, God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And John 14 and verse 13 says this. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that your Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Simply praying and making a request and adding, in the name of Jesus Christ, is not necessarily praying in the name of Jesus. To pray in the name of Jesus means that we are making our prayer request according to the authority of his revealed will. Will. We have to be abiding in Christ. We have to pray with the mind of Christ and pray by the authority of his word. Remember the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19? They're praying... And they're saying, 
In the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, they try to kick out the demon. See, they thought that was praying in the name of Jesus. What happened? The demon said, hey, Paul, I know Jesus. I know, who are you? And they overtook him. So pray in the name of Jesus. And then I'm going to leave you with two quick last ones. Seek earnestly. Seek earnestly with an intense and sincere effort, not just a sentimental effort. Come early. If you want to pray with power, don't wait till the end of the night. Come early. Seek earnestly. Psalm 63. I love this. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. David writes, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. You know, when Elisha, Elijah was praying, for the rain to come in, remember after Ahab, I mean, the, the three years of drought, now he's, he's a little, he's got something going on here. God's told him it's time to pray. So Elijah goes up and he prays. How many times did he send his servant out to see if it was raining? Do you remember? Seven times. Do you think, okay, can you see Elijah? It says he was on his face before the Lord. He is praying. He tells the servant, go see if there's any rain. Nope, no rain. Do you think he just got back down and said, okay, Lord, is it time for the rain? And can you send the rain? He was praying earnestly. To pray with power, we've got to pray earnestly. And I guarantee you that all preachers and praying mamas and prophets that have done anything worthy for God know that the power of prayer was made available to them through the instrument or, or that power was made to them available through the instrument of prayer. So the effectual, fervent prayers have always been the most powerful weapon of the most powerful warriors. And then pray with persistence until you get the answer. Luke 18, 7 through 8, and our time is up. Shall God not avenge his own elect, Jesus says, who cry out day and night to him, Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Persevering prayer is the channel through which spiritual power comes to us to be overcomers, to work in God's service, and to lead the unsaved to the Lord. Little word, little prayer, little, uh, little faith, little faith, little prayer. We've got to, as Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. In the Greek, these are linear verbs. It means to ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. Jesus wants us to persevere in prayer. So let me sum this up. The twelfth point that we won't have time to, turn, to talk about is praying and fasting. Because there are... <laughs> he says, that's the one he wants to hear. 
there are times, you know, we talked about Daniel praying and fasting, and he got the answer in 21 days. Well, then in Daniel 9, we see he's praying and fasting, and he, the Lord hears immediately, right? But if you want to pray with power, pause to consider who you are approaching. Approach boldly, but in reverent submission. Approach God with the provision of his spirit. If you don't go out of here with anything else today, that's what you have to remember. Every time you pray, ask God at the beginning of the prayer to send the Holy Spirit to direct your prayer. You will see an amazing difference in your prayer life. You know, we rush in with our own ideas but we don't know how to pray as we ought. If we will ask the Holy Spirit to guide and just give that prayer life to them, you'll see an amazing difference. And you know, in Isaiah, I'm not sure right now, but I have to look it up. Let me see. Isaiah, I think it's 59, Isaiah 60, 59 16. It says that God was looking for intercessors. And he looks all over and he wonders that there is no intercessor. That's the, Bible, the word the Bible uses. He wonders. I'll tell you what he's wondering. He's wondering why people don't love people enough to pray for them. And he's wondering why people don't believe in his power to change their lives. So we need to become powerful intercessors. That's the highest call to ministry that there is. It's the ministry of our risen and exalted Savior. Number four was walking in confident obedience. We confess our sins before him and do our best to obey. Abiding in Christ according to his will, in submission to his will. Pray believing, employing the faith factor. Asking in the authority of the name of Jesus. Seek earnestly with persistence and praying and fasting for those special occasions. I hope that you got something out of this today. It will change your prayer life if you put this in, in here. And I apologize that we, had, we ran out of time. I just want to end this with prayer. Let's just go before the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Oh, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to, to make sense of all of this in I pray in the name of Jesus that you will plant this, this good seed that has been cast out. Let it be planted deep into their hearts. And I ask in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will help each one of us to understand our total dependence upon you, even for prayer. We ask in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will teach us to pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, you will help us to forgive us for our own ignorance, forgive us for our pride, forgive us that we have boxed you in, Lord. Teach us to pray powerfully that your power may be released on earth. We thank you, Lord, for your continued guidance. We thank you for your provisions for prayer. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.